morning. <laughs> Come on. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Desperation 2013, right? So good to have you. All right, hey, before I get started, I want to just say I'm so thankful for the team here at New Life, Pastor David, Pastor Dan, Pastor Amy, all the team that puts this together. Can we just give all our volunteers, all our students who have spent hours putting this together, can we just give them a big shout out this morning before we get started? Yeah. You wouldn't believe how much prayer and how much work goes into this, but it's a joy to do it. We're so glad you're in Colorado and all the fires have now been put out. Amen. Can we say thank you, Jesus, for that? All right. Hey, before I get started, I want to invite all the pastors, youth pastors, senior pastors, church leaders that are here. And in just a couple of months, we're going to gather back here for our leadership conference in September. And because we love you and because we're so grateful you came to Desperation, it, while you're here, if you'll register, it's half price. So call you, if your senior pastor's not here, call him right after I get through speaking and say they're giving us this insane opportunity to come back here in late September when all the trees are turning, it's going to be, it's, um, listen, September in Colorado is paradise. It is unbelievable, all right? So you come back with your church team, all your staff, your team, your senior pastor, your worship team, and hang out with us in September. We have a booth by the men's room, and we put our booth there because we figure that every one of you are going to have to go there at some point in the next three days. So our booth is by the bathroom, prime territory. Go by, register, it's half price today, all right? All right, let me just say this this morning. I'm about to talk about a topic, and you, you kind of got a feel for it in the video just a moment ago. I'm about to talk about a topic that get, could get me in a lot of trouble, but I ain't scared, all right? So, um, <laughs> I, but I want to say this sincerely. I know that your pastor and the leaders of your church have entrusted you to come to desperation because they trust us, and, and, and I take that very seriously. So I'm not here today to start any fight. I'm not here today to start any argument. What I am here today is to start a conversation that I think needs to start. It's a conversation about the role of women in our home, the role of women in our congregation, in our churches, and the role of women in our world. And I think it's a conversation that's misunderstood, and I'm hoping today just simply to bring some clarity. I'm hoping today simply to start some conversations. I hope that in your van ride, your bus rides home, that this is a conversation that begins between youth pastors and, and, the, and the, late, the women who are part of your youth groups. I hope that today you begin to have clear minds and clear hearts about this topic that's near and dear to me. Now, when I came up here, I, uh, I was watching that video, and I said to Callie, I said, Callie, man, that video makes me look fat. She goes, yeah, it kind of makes you look fat, Dad. I said, well, the cameras add 10 pounds. You know, when, you're, when your camera's on you, it acts 10, makes you look 10 pounds heavier. Callie goes, well, how many cameras were on you? <laughs> All right, so that wasn't funny, was it? I didn't think that was very funny. <clears throat> so there's many cameras on me right now, so just know that. I'm not that fat, right? So, by the way, I told Abraham, <laughs> I told Abraham and Callie I would not embarrass them. You know, they're preacher's kids and their dad. And I, I, but I did say I want to introduce them, all right? So this, my son, 14-year-old Abram, he's going to be a freshman this year. Callie's a seventh grader. I have two kids in the student ministries here at New Life now. So welcome my kids, Abram and Callie, right here on the front row. Say hi to them. <laughs> that's all, that's the only time I'm going to embarrass them. All right, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start at the very beginning of the Bible, all right? So go to the maps and take a right. And you'll see Genesis chapter 1. We're going to talk about this topic just for a moment. We're going to have a conversation about better together. We are better together. 
men and women working together, men and women in our youth groups, men and women in our congregations, we are better together. And this book I just wrote called Letter Lead, it's, I mean, literally it's three bucks. So go to Amazon. It's only, it's only available as an ebook. So you got to go to Amazon or go to the iTunes bookstore or go to Barnes and Noble and download it onto your phone or your iPad or to your reader if you have a Kindle or a Nook reader. It's only it's like three bucks. And I wrote it for my church. I wrote it, first of all, as I said in the video, I wrote this book for Callie so she and I could have some conversations as a 12-year-old young woman growing up in my home, but also wrote it for our church and for you, for us to have these conversations. Because I really do believe we are better together. Look in Genesis chapter 1. And uh, I've asked this question many times. What do you think God was up to when he created man and woman? Have you, I know many of you are 12 to 18 or 19 years old. But you're at the age now where you're discovering there's a big difference sometimes between men and women, boys and girls. There's a difference. And God did this on purpose. He did not do this to confuse us. God did not create man and woman to create division and strife. And I'm going to show that to you in the Bible this morning. God created man and woman, boy and girl, for the strength to be better together, that together we are strong. Together, there's a purpose behind this design. I'm going to show it to you this morning, okay? As best I can. In Genesis chapter 1, God had already created all the heavens and the earth. Pike's Peak had already been created. The Rocky Mountains were here. The oceans were created. And then God came with the crowning achievement of his creation. Human beings. Man and woman. Genesis chapter 1, it says, So God created man in his own image in the say this with me in the image of God he created him male and female he created them now I want you to turn to the person next to you we're going to do this a couple of times today turn to the person next to you and say imago deo a little latin imago deo now this is what they're saying say and, and this is what this means the image of God I want you to turn to the person next to you and say something else. Tell them, you look like God. Now, if they said that, I look like a God, that's not what I said. All right, let's get that clear. I, we are all created. We all together, collectively, in this room today, are the reflection of God. Isn't that amazing? Skinny, not skinny, tall, not tall. We're all our reflections, men and women, imago Deo, the image, the reflection of God. And that was God's original intention early on was to create all of us to look, to, to respond, to hear like God. But something went terribly wrong. Somewhere along the way, we have reduced woman down to her breast size, to, her, to her, the way she looks. We've told women that they are something less than God. And let me tell you something about this. If you treat women less than the image of God, you are saying to God that he did not create woman in his image. We have to treat women. Listen, young men. If I, one thing I want you to hear today. I have a daughter and I'm married to the love of my life. We'll be married 24 years in a couple months. And she's still my girlfriend. And I love her. I've got a picture in my office right now of, of Pam, my wife, when she was in a uh, first grade beauty contest in Ruston, Louisiana. Any Louisiana people here today? Good, six of us. Great. That's awesome. That's all it takes, though. Six Louisiana people can rule the world. I thought we're going to rule the world one day. All right. So here's the point. My wife, Pam, when she was in the first grade, was in the Louisiana Ruston Peach Festival. 
And she's got this little dress on and she's terrified. She's on the stage and she's, she's going through her, her beauty contest thing in her gown. And she's ter- I got this picture in my office of her looking at her mom's camera, terrified. And you can almost see in her eyes, please get me off this stage. And I've got this little picture in my office as a reminder. Listen, young men, as a reminder that I am married to someone's little girl. She was a little girl one time. Now she's my wife. And we've grown, we're growing old together. We're loving life together. But at one point, she was a six-year-old little girl on a stage, terrified, needing reassurance that she was loved and that she was the image of God. Young men, girls are not sex objects. Girls, women are the image of God. You cannot worship God and mistreat women. Come on. You can, don't call yourself a Christ follower and think less of woman. Woman was created just like you as the image of God. And to think less of her is to think less of God. And we've told women, and, and we've told women often that if you want our acceptance, in fact, I have a, whole, I have a hard time when I, and I'm on Facebook and Twitter and I see some of your posts and I have a hard time when young men say things like this, like my smoking hot girlfriend or my smoking hot wife. And listen, I, I, I have no trouble telling, I tell Pam all the time that she's pretty that she's loved, and I, I, mean, I, I brag on her all the time. But I have a hard time with that language because what we're telling women subtly, what we're telling women is that if you want our approval, you have to look a certain way. You have to walk a certain way. You have to dress a certain way. I remember when Callie began, and, you know, she was seven or eight years old, and Pam would go shopping for clothes for her, and she would come back and say, there's, there's nothing in the kids' section but grown woman clothes disguised as wet girls' clothes. And early on, we've told our girls that if you want our acceptance, then you're going to have to dress like sexual objects. If you want us to approve of you, if you want us to give you Twitter and Facebook shout outs, then you need to be sexualized. We, we've reduced women down to sexual beings when in fact they are the image of God. They are a mago deo. They are precious in the sight of God. And guys, if you dishonor women, you're dishonoring the maker of heaven, the ruler of the earth, God himself. Women are precious in our sight. They're to be honored and revered. I don't mind you telling your wife or your girlfriend that she's pretty, but how about spending an equal amount of time telling her that she's smart, that she's strong, that she's capable, that her voice needs to be heard. Do more than just tell her that she's hot. In fact, most of the women sitting out here today, you don't even like being told that because it reduces you down to something that you know you're better than. You're, you're, You're better than that. You don't have to expose your body to show us how great you are. Show us how great your brain is. Show us how great your voice is. Show us your heart. Show us your passion for Jesus. You're imago Deo, the image of God. You have nothing to prove to any of us. You have nothing to prove to some boy. All right, look at verse 28. This is before Eve was ever created. Verse 27, he says that he created us in the image of God, imago Deo, reflections of God. And in verse 28, it says that God blessed them. The word them is man and woman. He blessed man and woman and said to them, man and woman, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air And over every living creature that moves on the ground, he said to man and woman together, we are better 
together. Together you will rule. Together you will dominate. Together you are powerful. Apart from each other, you're less than what I created you to be. But together we're better. Notice that before anything got corrupt, before sin ever entered the picture, before we ever told women that they were just sexual beings, God had a better design for men and women. He said, together, man and woman mutually submitted to one another, mutually honoring one another, mutually serving one another, unified together, you will rule the earth, you'll subdue everything, you'll be in charge, you'll be powerful, and I made you that way. Together we are better. That was God's original design. That men and women would not compete for the attention, that we would complement one another. Listen, men and women together, we're here to complement. We're here to mutually serve one another. We're here to mutually submit to one another. This is what it looks like in my house. I, uh, Pam, you know, we've been married 24 years, and um, I, I just, I, I can't remember one time that I had to tell Pam that I was the boss. Well, I actually, I told her one time, and about three days later, my right eye kind of started coming open finally. That, anyway, that was a long, bad story. But listen, guys, you don't have to pull out the God stick on, on women. That's not what God created us to be. God created men to come alongside women, to serve women, to be in unity with women, to mutually submit to one another. Ladies, hear me tell you what God created you to do. Come alongside men, to submit to one another, to be in unity with one another, to complement one another, to be together. To be strong together. This is God's original design. He said, I've created you to be strong together. Strong in unity. But here's the problem. Sin is always the thief of unity. And here's been, this has been the plan of the enemy from day one in all of our lives. If he could separate men and women. The enemy knew from the very beginning, if men and women ever discovered how strong they were together, he would have, he'd be, he'd be done for So early on, the enemy came to drive a wedge between men and women, to separate them, to cause them to compete with one another instead of to complement one another. Sin comes today to divide us. Sin comes today to make us uh, skeptical of one another, suspicious of one another, to not trust one another. God has come. That's why divorce is so rampant in our, in our culture. The enemy knows that if he can separate mom and dad, then the kids, the kids, their chance of success goes down. When the family is broken, culture is broken. So the enemy comes to divide men and women. The, the enemy comes to make us compete with one another instead of to complement one another. This has always been the enemy's goal. And it happened in the very first couple, Adam and Eve had a perfect environment where they met every day with God. They met all the time. They had perfect reunion with God, conversations with God. And one day the enemy came and deceived them and said, if you would just take the fruit of the tree, then you would be like God. You wouldn't have a need for God. And they said yes to that. And they ate of the fruit. Eve ate of the fruit. Adam ate of the fruit. You know what happened? You know the story what happens next. The next day, God shows up at the same time that he did every other day have conversations. And what happened? Adam and Eve began to hide. They hid from God. They, they, and they began to cover their vulnerable places. They, they put fig leaves over their vulnerable places and they hid from God, embarrassed and ashamed. And God came to the garden and says, Adam, Eve, where are you? What, what's going on? Where are you? And, and, and he says, and, and they were hiding in embarrassment and shame. And see, this is where we are today. Men and women 
hiding ourselves from each other, hiding ourselves from God, embarrassed and ashamed. Sin comes to divide us from each other and divide us from God. And we're not, we're not near as strong. But as in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, after they were put out of the Garden of Eden, God calls Eve. He says to Eve, you're now going to be a helper. You're going to be a helper. Genesis 2.18 called Eve is called a helper. Now, let me tell you what the, the original design for women were. And I, oftentimes we've had this conversation in our staff a lot of times in our church. And it's a hard conversation. So a lot of women have been told as they've grown up that you're designed to be the helpmate of your husband. Kind of the sidekick. Kind of, you know, Tonto to Lone Ranger. You know, Robin to Batman. You're kind of an add-on. You're kind of, um, you're kind of an, an, an additive. I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the big deal. You're here to kind of be my assistant, my helper. That's what we've told women over the years. And this is what was the tension that was going on between Adam and Eve in the garden. We've told women that they're less than, that you're there to be kind of the helper of your husband and nothing more, nothing less. And if you can do that, then God is pleased with you. But if you're not there to do that, well, here's the, here's the reality. Half of adult women in America are not married. Half of the adult women in our, our country are single. So what do we say to these women? That until you get married, that's when you're important. And so women feel the pressure. Unless I'm married, I'm not important. That, that, that is, is the furthest thing from what God intended for women, by the way. I believe in, the, in marriage. I believe that men and women should be married. I believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. I see all of that in Scripture. I have no problem with all that. I endorse that. I, I encourage that. But there's something more than what God was saying just for women to be a helpmate to their husband. In fact, in Genesis 2, verse 18, when Eve is called the helpmate of Adam, you know what that word is? Azar. It's the Hebrew word Azar. E-Z-E-R is the way it's spelled, but it's pronounced Azar. And here's what, here's what God was saying. He uses it only like five or six times to describe Eve to Adam, but he uses it like 16 or 17 times to describe himself to us. In fact, throughout the scriptures, when God would say, I am your Azar, I am your helper. God says, I have come to be your Azar. I have come to help you, to strengthen you, to come alongside you. The same way God saw Eve with Adam is the same way he sees himself with us. God says, listen, I am not just your add-on. I am not just your supplement. I'm not your tanto to your lone ranger. I am your helpmate. God says to us, I am your Azer. You cannot do what I've called you to do without me. When God spoke to Adam, he said, Adam, you cannot do what I have called you to do without this woman. This woman is not just some add-on. She's just not some helpmate. She is the one that completes you. Together you are better. But then as the enemy came and separated them, go to Genesis chapter 3. Let me read this to you. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16 is a... To me, one of the most troubling scriptures in, in the Bible when it talks about men and women. Genesis 3.16, uh, the angels now with flaming swords are guarding the entrance to the Garden of Eden. And Adam and Eve will never go back there. They'll never get to go back to paradise. Instead, now, they're sent out into a very dangerous, dark world. The world in which we live in today. And he said to, says to Eve, Eve, I originally designed you to be fruitful and multiply, but now your, your childbirth will be painful. And he says to Adam, Adam, I originally designed you to be in the garden and you would rule and multiply and things would be much easier. But now you're going to scrape out a living 
as a farmer scraping out a living on the land and the serpent will always strike at your hill. There was a curse that came because of the sin of mankind, but it wasn't the original design that God gave them. And then he says to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, he looks at the two of them, God looks at Adam and Eve, and I think with, with sad eyes and a broken heart, God says to Adam and Eve, he says to Eve, your desire will be for your husband. He's going to rule over you. Here's what he said. Women, ladies, here's what's going to happen. You're, you're going to have to submit now to, in a way to your husband that you're not going to like. And your husbands are going to come and they're going to be tempted to dominate you and rule over you. And but here's, here's the deal. We'll leave that scripture on the screen just for a moment. That was a prediction, not a prescription. That's not God's design. He said, because of sin, women, ladies, you're not going to like the way men treat you sometimes. And guys, you're going to be tempted to dominate and manipulate because you're stronger and bigger and, and full of testosterone. You're going to want to dominate and rule over women. And ladies, they, you're not going to like it. So for the last thousands of years, that's been the tension between men and women. A recent, I, I was, when I was writing this book, Let Her Lead, I, um, I saw this study where, and it's pretty recent, where they asked women, in the, in, women like who were working in the marketplace in businesses, they said to, they asked women to evaluate themselves, evaluate their worth to the organization. Like, how do you feel like, do you bring any value to the organization? So they asked that question to women and they asked that question to men in various sectors of society all over the United States. Here's, the, here's what happened. Women in this study tended to underestimate their value. Men in the same study tended to overestimate their value. Women tended to see themselves as less than what they were created to be. This is amazing. This is a study that's done last year. Here we are, Adam and Eve. This verse, chapter 3, verse 16 says, Ladies, men are going to try to dominate you, and you're not going to like it. Guys, you're going to be tempted to manipulate and dominate women, but that's not what I meant for you. It, it was a prediction, not a prescription. And we see it playing out right now. I met with a, a group of high school students here, um, I don't know, just a, you know, a couple months ago. And, and it was leaders. They were all leaders, high school leaders. These are the strongest and the best. Men, young men and young women who are the strongest and the best leaders in our church for students. And I, there was about 50 to 60 students in there. And I began to ask them these questions. I said, I asked these high school girls. I said, so... What do you feel? What's the culture like? Do you feel like that your voice is heard when you have the best idea, when you have the best, when, you, when God has given you the leadership and the best idea, do you feel like you're heard? And here's what the young women said. And, and this one particular young lady looked at me and she said, if I have the best idea, I feel like I have to become something less than woman to make it, to get it across. I feel like I have to, have to be more manly to get my voice heard because men, the, the, the guys in the group tend to dominate her and overwhelm her and, and, and talk louder than her. She felt like she has to talk louder. And, and, and see, that's the tension we're still feeling. Adam and Eve, it's no different than today. So men and women both have a, a responsibility today. Listen to me, young ladies, raise your voice and share your ideas. Half the time, listen, ladies, Half the time, you have the best idea. Maybe more than half the time. Half the time, you have the best idea. 
And half the time a man has the best idea. But listen, here's what happens. Because of that scripture in Genesis 3.16, men have a tendency because of the curse of sin to dominate the conversation. And women have a tendency to back away from that conversation when it gets tense. Ladies, raise your voice. Men, back down and listen. Listen to the voice of woman. Let her be heard. Let her voice be heard. Together we are better. Don't dominate the discussion. Ladies, don't back away when the tension fills the room. If your idea is the best, then speak your idea. But you don't have to be less than woman for your voice to be heard. Be fully woman, fully strong, but let your voice be heard. Guys, listen, be strong, be confident, but be sensitive to the voice of woman that's all around you. Half the time, their idea is the best. In fact, in my house, the voice of God typically sounds like my wife. And if you're married, you get that. You understand what I'm saying. Almost all the time, the voice of God sounds like my wife speaking to me. Because it's through her, through the way God made her, that God speaks to me in a way that I could never hear him myself. I am, I'm a man and I can't hear the way God has wired women to hear. Now, if I'm not listening to Pam, sometimes I'm not even listening to God. It's Pam's voice that comes and, and clarifies things and strengthens us. Together we make decisions at my house. We don't compete with one another. We complement one another. We're there to serve one another. We're mutually submitted to one another. We're in unity with one another. And then when Jesus came, there was never anybody in the history of the world that did more for women than Jesus. I mean, Jesus was the greatest champion of women's rights in the history of the world. Jesus immediately began to surround himself with strong women. If you read the scriptures, he did choose 12 men as his disciples, but there were strong voices of women all around him throughout his day. In fact, if you read the Bible, when he uh, went into the tomb, guess who was the first one? Guess who got to preach the very first Easter sermon? Woman. It was women that came into the tomb. The first ones to arrive at the tomb after Jesus was resurrected was a group of women. And they are the ones who went back and told the disciples, he's gone. Just as he promised, Christ is resurrected. The very first Easter sermon was by women. Here's the problem though. During that time, women were were not considered trustworthy witnesses. Women were not allowed to testify in court. In the days of Jesus, women were considered as property. Women were considered as childbearing property, but they were not considered as equals. And they certainly were not recognized as imago Deo. And you know what happened when the women came back and told the 12 men that Christ had been resurrected? They didn't believe them. Because they weren't considered as trustworthy witnesses. But the fact that women were the first ones to come to the tomb... Women were the first ones to go back and report the resurrection was Jesus's way of saying, I have come to bring value and worth back to the world of woman. I have come to elevate them back to the original design that I had for them. They are imago Deo, the image of God. The voice of woman was always meant to be heard alongside the voice of men. In fact, when Jesus came back to them, he Right before he ascended, he said to all the disciples, he said, go back to Jerusalem, hang out in the upper room, and I'm going to send my Holy Spirit upon you. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, both men and women, you're going to go be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and all over the world. And a group of men and women 
went to this upper room and waited there and prayed and fasted, much like we're doing this week in these three days. And, and, and you know, some of you know the story that while they were fasting and praying, while they were alone in that room, the Holy Spirit came upon that room like a rushing mighty wind, like a powerful wind. And they all began to speak in tongues and men and women alike began to prophesy and speak. Listen to what happened. It says that the people who were outside the room began to hear them prophesy and speak in tongues. And many of them thought that they were drunk. And, and, and so Peter stepped out on the ledge and said, listen, none of us are drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. And then one of the disciples said, but it's five o'clock somewhere. Okay, that's a bad joke. All right, never mind. That's a bad joke. Don't ever tell that joke to your parents, all right? <laughs> now, here's what he said. Go to Acts chapter two. Peter steps out and says, no, what we're, what we're witnessing here today is the fulfillment of something that the prophet Joel told us long ago. Just as God originally designed. I've designed that men and women empowered by the Holy Spirit would together go be my witnesses. According to God's original design, men and women together filled with the power of the Holy Spirit would do exactly what the prophet Joel said would happen. Now listen very carefully to what he says. In the last days, in 2013, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters, those who come to desperation, will prophesy. By the way, I'm looking at sons and daughters this morning. My son and my daughter are here this morning. I'm looking at sons and daughters. Do you believe this scripture? Let me ask, do you believe this? That in the last days, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon us and sons and daughters are going to prophesy. What does that mean? Maybe you've never heard the word prophesy. In fact, turn the house lights up just a bit, okay? I want to... I'm going to show you, I'm going to, I'm going to give you, I'm going to show you what prophecy looks like. Here's what prophecy is. And I want want to make sure you're clear about this. Very simple definition. Prophecy is simply encouraging, strengthening people around you to comfort, to encourage and strengthen people. So during, while Pastor Jared was leading worship today, I said, Lord, I want to show people what prophecy is in the New Testament model. When the Holy Spirit comes upon men and women He gives you the ability to hear encouraging, strengthening, and comforting words for one another. This is a pretty powerful thing. You know why? Because there are so many people, in fact, you're sitting around people right now that need to be strengthened and encouraged, comforted. I mean, if you really want to get in touch with first century, move the Holy Spirit, just constantly ask the Lord, Lord, would you give me eyes to see? Would you give me ears to hear? what you're saying about the people that are all around me. And Lord, if there's something I can say to them that would encourage them and strengthen them or comfort them, then I'm willing to do that today. Let me ask you a question today. If the Holy Spirit came to you today, men and women, and gave you something to say to someone that would encourage them, strengthen them, or comfort them, how many of you would be open to that today? Come on, raise your hand. If you're open to the Holy Spirit giving you a word. It doesn't have to be incredible. It doesn't have to be immensely articulate. It can be something simple. So I was sitting there with you today, worshiping with you today, asking that question, Lord, is there someone around me today that needs to be encouraged and strengthened or comforted? And here's a, there's a couple back here. You've got, uh, you're a young man, a young woman. The young lady has a white blouse on the, 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 
There's a guy next to you that, that's, uh, that's follically challenged. It's got a striped shirt. All right, you're, you're young and handsome, but you don't have hair. So stand up, both of you guys, right there. Yeah. All right. All right. I don't know you. I, I, I don't think I know you. I can't see you very well anyway. But I, it was dark. Here's the Lord's, here's the word for you, okay? And you take it for what it's worth. You've come here today and you're at a huge intersection in your life. And the Lord says to the two of you, you, you have been obedient. You have done things well. You have done things right. Trust me that you're at, the, you're, you're at a huge intersection right now. And you're asking God, when we were singing that song about miracles... The two of you are praying for a miracle right now. You're asking God to do something that only God could do. You have come to the end of yourself and you're at a place right now that if God doesn't do it, it can't get done. And I'm saying to the two of you, I don't know you, but the Lord knows you. He is so happy with you. He is pleased. He could not be more pleased with the two of you. And the miracle that you're praying for, the intersection, the big decision you're having to make, God's about to open up the heavens over the two of you. And it's going to be so clear, so crystal clear for the two of you. Know that today, all right? God bless the two of you, all right? God bless you guys. All right, you see, listen, that's one of the most fun things you'll ever do in your life. In the last days, I'm going to come to a group of people who are so obedient, who are so hungry for the Holy Spirit. I'm going to come to a group of people that have gathered in the middle of the summer when you could be doing anything else, but you've come here to spend three days worshiping and praying and seeking the Lord. I'm going to come to a group of people like that, and I'm going to pour out my spirit upon you, and men and women are going to prophesy. But it gets better. Let's keep reading the scripture. It says, your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And even on my spirit, even on my servants, both men and women, I'm going to pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. They will speak. They will preach. They will teach. They will declare. They will demonstrate the gospel to people all around them. And verse 21 is powerful. Because this is what you're praying for. Some of you came here with a huge burden for your high school, for your junior high, for your youth group. And you come here today with this, this call on your life. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If only we would agree with what the Holy Spirit is saying, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This morning, for the last several days, I have felt that this morning is a pivotal morning for many of you. And my prayer is that there are some of you here today that God has called you to proclaim the gospel. God, he's got this growing passion and burden, not for the stage. Listen, don't, don't, don't ever seek the stage. What you're asking for is obedience. And God is about to give some of you a voice to proclaim, to preach, to teach both men and women. In this room, some of you today, it's time for you to say yes to the call that's on your life to proclaim, to prophesy, to to speak up, to declare the good news on your campuses all over the United States. So I want you to stand with me this morning. I want you to all stand with me. The Holy Spirit is among us today, moving, speaking, giving us ears to hear and eyes to see. 
Every time I stand and minister, whether it's in a small group or in a big congregation, my prayer is, Lord, give me eyes to see and give me ears to hear. Give me a mind to understand and a heart to really believe all that you're saying and all that you're doing. And Lord, I've I've come this morning, my prayer this morning is to cooperate with what you're doing. And, And here's what I hear, here's what I sense the Lord's doing this morning. The Lord's putting a call on some of your life to prophesy, to preach, to proclaim the gospel. And you're not coming down, I'm going to ask you to come down in just a moment, but you're not coming down, to see, you're not seeking out the stage. In fact, some of you may labor in obscurity for many, many years. You may do this in a quiet place that no one ever recognizes your gift. No one, you may never get promoted into a public place. But if you're here today and you're willing to simply say, Father, I am willing by the power of the Holy Spirit, both men and women, I am here today to say yes to the call that is on my life to proclaim the good news, to prophesy strength, encouragement, and comfort. I am here today to listen and obey. And I'm willing to do it in obscurity. I'm willing to do it when nobody's watching. I'm willing to do it when the spotlights are off of me. I'm willing to do it in places that nobody is seeing me do it. I'm just willing to be obedient. I'm willing now to raise my voice, to lift my voice, both men and women alike. I'm here today to proclaim, Father, today I surrender my voice to you. I surrender my heart to you. I surrender my tongue, my words to you, Lord, today. Use them as you wish. If that's you today and you're ready to surrender that to you, would you just step out right now, men and women alike, young men, young women alike, if you're here today and you're ready to proclaim, you're willing to give your life away, your voice away, to speak, to proclaim this good news of the gospel, I want you to come today, I want you to pray, I'm going to pray over you, speak over you these words. since I've been so overwhelmed by what the Lord's saying. I'm overwhelmed by what God's saying about you today. Please hear what I'm saying. I'm overwhelmed by what God's saying about you today. What we're surrendering to today is not... We're we're, we're saying no to our ambitions. We're saying yes to being obedient. Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, if you... If you'll speak through me, I'll be obedient. I'll be a voice. I'll I'll speak for you. I will proclaim you. I will live for you. I will surrender to you. There's some of you that are going to speak on the stage. I know that. I believe that. Believe that about you. Some of you are going to stand before thousands and you're going to proclaim the gospel. And that's in you. That's not your ambition this morning. It's not any of our ambitions this morning. Our ambition is simply to be obedient. Maybe it's just to the one. Maybe you're going to spend the rest of your life in obscurity, in the hidden places, speaking to one at a time. Maybe spending the rest of your life proclaiming the gospel to a handful of people. But that's what we're saying yes to today. Saying yes to being His voice, His feet, His hands. Father, I pray today, I pray today the promises of Joel chapter 2 and Acts chapter 2 over everyone that's here today. Lord, in the last days, you're going to pour out your spirit upon 
men and women, your servants, your maidservants, your manservants. Father, they're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Father, today I pray for the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit over their lives. I pray today that you would give them ears to hear and eyes to see. Father, I pray today that you'd give them a mind to really understand and a heart to really believe all that you're saying and all that you're doing. Father, today I pray over this generation that you would continually fill them with the Holy Spirit. That the power of the Holy Spirit would come upon them right now. Give them voices. Let, let them lift their voices in confidence. Let them lift their voices with filled with the love of Christ. Let them prophesy and speak and proclaim who you are, what you're saying to their schools, to their families, to their friends. Let let their voices be broadcast all over the world. Men and women alike. Father, I pray today that you would help us as men and women to be in unity with one another, to serve one another, to complement one another, to not compete, but to complement Father, I pray especially now for the young women that are sitting here right now. Listen, young ladies, listen to me. I pray especially now for the young ladies that are sitting here today that they would feel a boldness of the Holy Spirit and like they've ever felt. Father, they would return to their original design. Father, I pray that they would be emboldened by the Holy Spirit to lift their voice. Let them be heard in Jesus' name. Let their voices be heard in Jesus' name. Father, may their hearts be tender. May their hearts be full of the Holy Spirit. But let their voices be heard. To the young men who are standing here today, Father, I pray you'd fill them with the Holy Spirit. Embolden them with the Holy Spirit. Fill them with passion and fire. Father, I pray that they would come alongside the voice of woman. And that the voice of woman, the voice of man would complement, would be in mutual submission, mutual surrender. And that together we are better. Together, we are better. And I speak this over this generation, that this will be the generation that shows us that together, our voices together are better. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen? Come on, Pastor David. Amen.